Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. We are excited to announce the Polishing the Pulpit Podcast, where we will share great lessons from past PTPs, as well as release news and updates related to upcoming events. We'll be releasing one episode a week, and it would be very helpful for us if you would be so kind to share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. Our first episode will be one of the keynotes from Polishing the Pulpit 2018. In this lesson, Brother Cliff Goodwin reminds us of five benefits of evangelism. Too many times we keep our faith locked up inside of a church building instead of letting it shine in our respective spheres of influence. Let's take a moment and listen. It's good to see everyone. I want to welcome you this year to PTP 2018. I know that if you and your families are like my family and I have been, then you're very excited to be here and you're very thankful for this opportunity. As we kick off PTP together here this session, I've been assigned with a topic that I think might be most helpful to many of us in the congregations where we worship and hopefully where we work back home. And that is, as you can see above me, if the church ever gets out of the building. If the church ever gets out of the building. There are a number of things I like about that title. I like about this idea, this concept that is behind such a title as this. One of them being that the church... The body of saved people is not the building. How often do we need to be reminded that a meeting house or a church building is a building? It's a structure, but that the church herself is the body of saved people. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, Ephesians 5 and verse 23 bear this out. However, as we think now about the church getting out of the building, that is, you and I, the saved people of God, leaving our comfort zones, leaving the safety and the familiarity of our meeting houses, and going out into the world, a world lost in sin, a world filled with people whose values are starkly different from yours and mine? As we think about that prospect, what can we expect if the church ever gets out of the building? I want to share with you a handful of things this hour. Number one, if the church ever gets out of the building, the world will better see who we are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure that if I ask for a show of hands from all of you who have come to realize that the Lord's church is misunderstood in the world, we could all raise our hands. The Lord's people are misunderstood. We live in a time, we live in a society that is secular, increasingly secular, in fact. We live in a society that is riddled with sin. John tells us in 1 John 5 and verse 19 
that the whole world lies in wickedness. Therefore, it should be no surprise to any of us that we live in a world that does not understand the church. The world does not understand you people. The world does not understand me. It doesn't understand how we think. It doesn't understand our decision-making processes. It doesn't understand our value systems. The world does not understand us. And you know what? That does not have much of a chance of getting any better so long as you and I stay secluded away in our meeting houses. I think too many of us are putting our hope in what I like to call a parked automobile religion. Do you know what I mean when I mention a parked automobile religion? This is what I mean. It seems that we expect our lost friends and neighbors, our lost co-workers, people in the world, it seems that we expect the world to be able to tell who we are and what we are about by where we park our vehicles. Preacher, I don't follow. I don't know what you mean. This is what I mean. On Sunday mornings, they look out and they see our vehicles are gone. Our vehicles are, are not at our homes. They're not at our houses. We've gone to worship. And then later in the morning, as they themselves maybe are out going to brunch or going to visit friends or family, and they pass by the meeting house, oh, there's, there's my neighbor's vehicle. They're, they're at worship, or as the world says, they're at church. And basically sometimes I fear that the only statement that we are willing to make to the world is, I want you to notice where I park my automobile. When I'm not at home, I want you to know I'm at church. And when I'm at church, I want you to take note of it, that I'm at worship. And that's, that's as far as it goes. Brethren, do you know that there are a lot of people in the world tonight who really and truly believe that members of the churches of Christ handle snakes? Do you know that? I can't tell you how many people I've encountered through the years that when I've mentioned to them I'm from the church of Christ, their response is, oh, you folks handle snakes. And I like to joke sometimes and say, no, we don't. How are we going to correct that misconception? How many times have you been told, well, you people in the Lord's church, oh, they wouldn't say that. You people in the churches of Christ, you don't believe the Old Testament. I mean, we've all been told that more times than what we can count. You're not correcting these misconceptions by merely parking your automobile at the meeting house on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. The church is going to have to get out of the building and we're going to have to initiate discussion. I know it's uncomfortable. I know for all of us at times it might even feel awkward, but we're going to have to talk to people. Can you imagine that? Can you believe that? If the church ever gets out of the building, number one, the world will better be able to see who we are, and what we are all about. I refer you to a common text, a familiar text. Look with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. 
Matthew 5, beginning at verse 14. There Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Now notice particularly verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. No, that wouldn't make sense. Instead, we put a candle on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I dare say tonight, that if we are putting our hopes, we are putting our confidence in a parked automobile religion, then I'm here to tell you tonight that we are putting our candles under bushel baskets. We are not letting our light shine the way that our Lord instructs us to there in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We're being contented we're being comfortable, we're being secluded, as it were, in our own little cocoon. The safety and comfort of the church building. And the world goes on in ignorance. The world continues to misunderstand. And then you and I sit back and we wring our hands uh, astounded as to why the world might think that we handle snakes as to why the world doesn't understand our, our holding to what the Bible teaches about the Old Testament. And the list could go on and on and on. Sadly, as I thought about this sermon and as I was preparing for it, it dawned on me this reality. I fear that in far too many congregations of the Lord's people, the church sign out in the churchyard is the only form of outreach into the community. Think about that. Would that describe the congregation wherein you are worshiping? Is the only outreach that you're making into the community at all is that message that you put up on the church marquee every week or every two weeks or once a month? Brethren, the church has got to get out of the building in order for the world to better understand who we are. Point number two. In the second place, if the church ever gets out of the building, we will be doing what the Lord has told us to do. Think about that. In Luke 6 and verse 46, Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? I would dare say that virtually everyone in this audience tonight believes in the deity of Jesus Christ. I would dare say that all of us profess that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, that Jesus has left heaven coming into this world, dying on the cross and being raised from death in order to save mankind from sin. I dare say we all believe that. But it's a sobering thought on the day of judgment 
the prospect of many of, uh, many of us potentially hearing the Lord say, Why call ye me Lord, Lord? And you did not the things that I told you to do. Notice that in both of these accounts of the Great Commission, first of all, Matthew 28 and verse 19, and then secondly, Mark 16 and verse 15, I want you to notice with me that in both of those accounts, the verb go is found. Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then in Mark 16 and verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I know that often when we hear sermons on the Great Commission, I know that often the emphasis lies with the teaching or the making disciples found in Matthew 28 or the preaching, the heralding, the proclaiming of the good news that's found in Mark 16. I understand why the emphasis might often be placed upon those ideas. I get that. But isn't it striking to us that in both of these accounts, inspiration begins by saying, Go, get out, move. Brethren, we have got to overcome the field of dreams mentality. Perhaps many of you years ago saw the movie Field of Dreams. And I understand that a quote from that movie is, if we build it, they will come. Talking about a baseball diamond, a baseball field. If we build it, they will come. But brethren, how many of us have adopted that mentality in the Lord's church? How many of us have brought that wait and see mentality over into the work of the kingdom? We, we build these structures. We build these meeting houses. We, we give attention to every minute detail regarding parking, regarding the pews, regarding the paint. Parking, pews, and paint. If you cover those things, you've got it covered. Because our thinking seems to be, if we build it, they will come. Do you know the Bible does not teach that? The Bible gives no guarantee. Do you know that most of the people, the vast majority of the people who are lost outside of the church don't even know they are lost? How do you know to come? How do you know to search it out? How do you know to seek if you don't even realize you're lost. Brethren, the command of the Lord is upon you and me. We are to be preemptive. We are to take the initiative. We are to go. Go. Teach. Go. Preach. Therefore, if the church ever gets out of the building, we will actually be doing what Jesus tells us to do. Brethren, may it never be said that we don't do what Jesus tells us to do. We are going to take a short break here to remind you that PTP 2019 will be August 16 through 22 at the Sevierville Convention Center in Sevierville, Tennessee. 
The schedule is still being crafted, but we wanted to let you know the dates early so you can add us to your calendar. We also wanted to let you know about PTP365, our library that contains thousands of lessons just like the one you are listening to now. If you are looking for more content like this, we suggest checking it out. We offer both family and congregational subscriptions. You can learn more about PTP365 at polishingthepulpit.com. And one more thing before we hear the remainder of Cliff's lesson. We wanted to let you know of another event that we host each year, the Great Smoky Mountain Marriage Retreat. It's a retreat for married couples in all stages of life, and it is held at the LeConte Center in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. The tuition is $100 per couple, and the event lasts for three days in February. You can learn more at SmokyMountainMarriage.com. And now, back to Cliff. Number three, if the church ever gets out of the building, we will find open doors of opportunity. This might be shocking to many of us. This might come as a surprise to far too many of us. Hopefully it will be a refreshing breath of, of fresh air to us all. But we need to be reminded that if we will ever get out of the, the building, get out of the church building, we're going to find open doors of opportunity. I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And may we ever be careful not to fall into this trap of thinking that the God whom you and I serve today is somehow a different God from the God that we read about in the book of Acts. We don't need to think that way. Now I understand, and you know as well as I, that the miraculous age has ceased. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. And so regarding his modus operandi, his method of operating, yes, God does no longer work miracles as he did in the time of Acts. I understand that. But he's the same God. He has the same power. And he still has the same desire and the same intent. Look at Acts 16 and begin reading with me at verse 9 where Luke records, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, regarding some differences, no, God is not going to appear to you or to me by way of a miraculous vision. No, He's not. Not in this day and not in this time. But regarding the similarity, yes, God is still providentially opening doors of opportunity. Folks, we've got to believe that. The tenor of the New Testament and the New Testament record specifically of how the apostles brought the gospel into the first century world and how that God facilitated the spread of the gospel by opening opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I'm here to tell you tonight, that's the same God we serve. 
God is still opening doors of opportunity. The problem is too often you and I won't get out of the church doors, the doors of the church building, so that we can find other doors to walk through. If the church ever gets out of the building, we will find those open doors of opportunity. Now turn back with me in your Bible to the book of John. John chapter 4. You know, in John chapter 4, our Lord took the apostles and He took them out of their comfort zone. He brought the apostles and they traveled through the regions of Samaria. Being Jews, that was not a comfortable place for them. But then even further, Jesus, while the apostles were away, Jesus initiated a conversation with a Samaritan woman. There was a window of opportunity and our Lord seized upon it. He took it. He stepped through that door, initiating that conversation with the woman. Look with me at verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it? that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. And then John supplies this inspired insight for us. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Some might say that the Lord stepped outside of the Jewish comfort zone by speaking to a Samaritan. Others might say, well, not only that, He spoke to a Samaritan woman. Friends, I would tell you tonight that our Lord knew what He was doing. Our Lord had an agenda. Our Lord had a plan of His own. That prejudice and that fear and that laziness was not going to interfere with. Our Lord was about the Father's business. He was doing the will of the one who had sent him and that meant that he seized upon this opportunity and he talked to this woman about her soul and about spiritual things. What were the results? Many naysayers, many defeatists, many people with a pessimistic attitude, they would have expected these efforts to have fallen flat that they might have reasoned or rationalized in their minds, oh, this woman is a Samaritan. She's not interested. She's not interested in spiritual things. And how many times do you and I rationalize in our minds today? It scares me when I'm reminded of what I heard someone say sometime back. They say that when we take the gospel to someone... We allow them the choice whether to accept it or to reject it. But anytime we withhold the gospel from someone, you and I have made the choice for them. And that's a frightening prospect. I don't want to stand before God on the day of judgment having made that decision for other folks. And why? Because of fear? 
because of awkwardness, because of laziness, because I had rationalized in my mind that they're not interested. Folks, the good news is there are still people in this world who are interested. The good news is is that there are still many people in this world who can be or become interested. They might not even know it themselves, as we mentioned a moment ago. But given the opportunity to hear the truth and to know of God's love for them, they might well seize upon it themselves and obey the gospel. If, if the church ever gets out of the building. Before we leave this chapter, move down with me in John 4 to verse 39 and let us notice the results that happened here. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying or not because of thy saying only, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Do you think the apostles... Now again... Our Lord knew what was going on. Our Lord had an agenda. Our Lord had a plan. Our Lord was on a mission. But what about those apostles? Do you think they were surprised at the two-day detour that they took in Samaria? They were just passing through and they wind up staying two entire days because of the fruitfulness of the gospel, because the men and women in that Samaritan village wanted to hear Christ. Brethren, I tell you tonight, if the church ever gets out of the building, we are going to find open doors of opportunity. We're going to find them. In fact, let me give you a challenge Now, you'll need to write this down because if you stay all weekend or if you stay all next week, you might not remember this until you get home. But if you write it down, you can refer back to it. I'll issue you a challenge. When you get back home and you get back into your daily walks of life, if you will start each morning by praying to God and asking God, to open up doors of opportunity for you that day, you will be astounded at what you find. Now, let me throw in a disclaimer here. Don't you pray that prayer. Don't you pray that prayer if you're not going to act on those opportunities. I have prayed that prayer before and remember thinking to myself when the opportunity started coming at me like this, I remember thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? You take that as a personal challenge. You start each of your work days before you go out into the workplace. 
You even start your weekends and your leisure time among friends or among family. You start by praying and asking God to open up doors of opportunity. But at the same time, pray that God opens up your eyes so that you'll be more aware and open to the opportunities as they present themselves. And I'm here to tell you, friends, we serve the same God that they served in the book of Acts. God still opens up doors of opportunity, but we've got to get the church outside of the building. Number four, in the next place, if we get the church outside of the building, we will be blessed. If I were to ask you about passages of Scripture that you and I believe, that, that we bank our lives and our souls upon, that we believe with every fiber of our being, hopefully we would say all of them, right? All Scripture is inspired of God, 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17. Hopefully we would say that I bank on all of the Bible and that's the way to be. But then if we were asking for specific instances, what are some passages that would come to mind? Someone might say, well, you know, John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, Cliff, I believe that with every fiber of my being. To that I would say, Amen. I believe it too. Someone might say Mark 16 in verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And they might say, you know, preacher, I believe that with every fiber of my being, to which I would say, amen. I believe that too. But do you believe James 1.25 as deeply, as strongly, and as personally as you believe John 3.16? Look with me to James 1 and verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, no, 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 but a doer of the work. Now remind me, what does the last part of that verse say? This man shall be blessed in his deed. Listen to me, brethren. I believe that with every fiber of my being. If we can ever get the church out of the building, into our lost communities, into this world the way that the Bible tells us to do so, we will be blessed. We will be blessed. You've got to put as much stock in James 1.25 as you do John 3.16, Mark 16.16, 16, and every other verse in the Scriptures. If you and I will get to work, being a doer of the work, James said, this man, such a man, shall be blessed in his deed. We're going to find that if we ever get out of the building. We're going to find that.
What about 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Now here it is. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why, Paul? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I believe that. Why is it that the devil has so much success seemingly in deceiving God's children into not believing that? Every effort that you and I put forth in the name of Jesus Christ, every effort that is in compliance with His revealed Word, it will not be in vain. It will not be in vain. That man shall be blessed in his deed, James 1.25. We're going to be receiving the reward. In Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul would write, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Brethren, I know that we're going to be blessed. I know that our efforts are not going to be in vain if for no other reason than for two simple fundamental reasons. Are you with me? Reason number one, humanity faces the same sickness that it faced 2,000 years ago, sin sickness. The malady of the soul. Sin is that which deprives us of eternal life. Humanity still has the same basic problem. No, I, I know, I know. It, it comes in different shapes, different forms than, than maybe what it used to, but fundamentally it all still springs from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it has been doing that ever since Genesis chapter 3. So number one, we've got the same basic sickness. Number two we've got the same powerful cure that they had in the first century. Brethren, hear me please. This book that I hold in my hand, it has not lost one whit of its power. It has not lost one bit of it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is the power of God to change souls, to change lives. I marvel when I read and reflect upon 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9, 10, and 11. I read about men and women who had been idolaters, adulterers, thieves, extortioners, homosexuals. I read about people who would rail and revile with their speech. I read about people whose lives were mired down in sin. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, And such were some of you, past tense. Some of you were these very things, but now you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. Brethren, that's the gospel. 
That's the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's the same power that you and I wield today as the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, and I'm talking about the church of Christ. If we'll ever get out of the building, we will be blessed. But finally this evening, if we ever get out of the building, we will better minister to each other. We will better minister to each other. I know that the bulk of everything I've said hitherto has been with an evangelistic slant. It's from the standpoint of our going outside of the building and going to those lost. But brethren, in this final point, I want you to realize with me that you and I have responsibilities to each other. We have responsibilities to the saved that will require you and me to get out of the church building. Preacher, I don't quite follow. I don't know what you mean. In order for us to have the brother and sister relationships that God intends for us to have as the church family, listen to me please, we've got to spend more time with each other than three or four hours a week in the church building. How do you get to know one another three or four hours a week in the church building? How, you, how do you become intertwined in the fabric of each other's lives three or four hours a week in the church building? There are times that we need to get out of the building and we need to go to each other's homes. There are times when we need to get out of the building and we need to go to the hospital when a brother or sister is there. There are times that we need to be out of the building and we need to be interacting in each other's lives away from worship, away from Bible study in everyday life. If the church ever gets out of the building, we're going to better minister to each other. What did Paul tell us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13? He told us that we had been called unto liberty only not to use liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Friends, sometimes I fear that we have the idea that we can serve one another three or four hours a week when we meet together. Now don't get me wrong. According to Hebrews 10 and verse 24, we are serving one another. We're considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And that's part of the reason why we assemble. I understand that. But go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning at verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Brethren, if we ever get out of our buildings, perhaps if we ever get out of our comfort zones, 
Not only can we better evangelize a lost and a dying world, but we can also better minister to each other, fulfilling our brotherly and our sisterly responsibilities that we've been given in Christ if only we get out of the building. I try to tell people back home from time to time that living the Christian life is about so much more than just what is going on within these four walls. Now don't get me wrong. You can't be faithful to God and not be faithful in your attendance. And you can mark that down. Being within those four walls at the assembly times to study God's Word or to render worship unto Him, that is absolutely imperative. Don't get me wrong. But brethren, if we think that we can sit in our little cocoon and that we can serve God and be pleasing to God and that it doesn't take anything more than that, we're wrong. We're wrong. And the world around us is lost and headed for a devil's hell, and you and I are keeping pews warm when we need to be doing something. Let me ask you this. You just take the people in this audience, hundreds, I don't know, hundreds of people. If each one of us in here this hour, if we went back home with a renewed desire, a renewed interest in getting out of the church building and getting to doing the work of the Lord, what would it do to the kingdom with just this many people? Brethren, my, the things we could do if the church ever gets out of the building. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more, search for Polishing the Pulpit on Facebook or visit our website at polishingthepulpit.com.